0: Episode eighty-two of Late Night Linux, recorded on the third of February, twenty twenty. I'm Joe, and with me are Feinim. Good evening, Graham. Hello, and Will. Bonjour. Ah, oh, sacre bleu! Yes, we've now left the European Union. We're in the transition period, and it's already really, really shit. But
1: what are you going to do? I've been very tired marking out all the UK out of my uh, fifty euro notes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that
0: Phelan is in the EU and we're not. It's not fair.
1: Yes, life is harsh. Yeah,
0: well, I'm coming over there in the summer, maybe to stay for good. We'll have to see. Anyway, so we have to start with an announcement, and that is that I am an idiot. And Fostalk Live 2020 will not be on the previous date. It will be on the 20th of June. And it really will be on that date this time. I made something of an error, uh, you know, beyond my control, all that. Excuses, excuses. It was my fault. And so, yes, I'm an idiot. 20th of June, 20th of June, at the Harrison, near King's Cross. So if you have booked anything that's non-refundable, then please let me know, uh, late-nightlinux.com slash contact. And Joe will pay it off. (laughs) No, I will not pay it off. But I was thinking, like, if anyone really booked it that far in advance and you can't get a refund then I'll at least hang out with you in the pub. That's your consolation prize. So uh, let me know. Don't be booking things just to uh, do that. (laughs) It is
2: the Queen's birthday.
0: It is, yes. Um, But I'm not even going to mention that previous date. That previous date is wrong. So it's the 20th of June. So, uh, yes, tickets and whatnot will be coming shortly when I have time and I'll update the website. But in the meantime, just follow FOSS underscore talk on Twitter. That's the best way to get uh, updates on that. So let's start with some news then. And first up, a post about the Pine phone from Lucas, which clarifies quite how free it is. And it turns out it's freer than some people thought.
2: So I've missed this. Was there a big contentious issue with what parts of the phone were free and which parts weren't free? Because we all know it's an incredibly difficult problem to crack with so many parts, the Bluetooth, the Wi-Fi, the radios, those parts in particular relying on firmware that are closed.
0: Well, I don't want to drag up drama, but there was an article on a well known site about a different phone and it kind of as a throwaway line lumped in the Pine phone with other Android phones, saying that they're just full of blobs. And that's kind of was the last straw. I, I think that Pine had been wanting to set the record straight on this for a while. And um, this post was the result of it. But I think it all worked out fine with the person who wrote the original article that was removed. And I think the reference to that article was removed from this thing that we're going to link to on the Pi64 blog. But the bottom line is that it is reasonably free. There's a a couple of blobs for the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, some optional proprietary firmware as well. But compared to most Android phones, it is
1: incredibly freedom-loving. And the modem runs its own thing as well, but uh, you know, you don't have to actually, it doesn't have access to memory essentially is the main important part of it. So, I mean, to me, it looks pretty good. I mean, it's almost like your laptop where essentially if you want your wireless to work, you do probably have to have that firmware installed, especially if it's been certified. So I, I think this is kind of as close as you could get, realistically speaking, especially in the U.S.,
0: Unless it's been certified by the FSF, like that one, uh, I think it was an N card or something that they certified over the last couple of weeks, which uh, we've <laughs> somewhat gone past N at this point, have we? have had like AC and now Wi-Fi 6. So, yeah, it's it's very hard to get completely free software on these things. But, yeah, the Pine phone um, is looking good. I still haven't got mine. I've got tracking for it, but it turns out you were right, Failing. The tracking is shit. Uh, <laughs> it was two weeks ago, I think. Uh, that I got this notification, uh, an email and a text saying that uh, here's your tracking, and then the tracking just hasn't changed since then. So it'll turn up as and when it turns up, I suppose. But it's not the only bit of news from Pine. Uh, They were at FOSDEM at the weekend, just gone, and they had, uh, I think it's a prototype, Uh, it's not a finished board, but it's what they're calling the Hard Rock 64, which it's got the same system on a chip as the Rock Pro 64, which is the bigger board. Uh, but this one doesn't have the PCIe slot, but it does have Wi-Fi built in. And it is suspiciously priced <laughs> at th- $35, $45, and $55 for the one gigabyte, 2 gigabyte, and 4 gigabyte versions in terms of RAM. Uh, somewhat priced like the Raspberry Pi's.
2: Yes, it looks very similar to the Raspberry Pi and has an eMMC socket too, which is very cool. Explain to us people what that means. eMMC is much better for long-term storage on these devices than the SD card you have to use on the Raspberry Pi. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's not as fast as a proper SSD, um, like a SATA or NVMe one, but it is much better than SD card. So yes, it's uh, looking pretty cool. And it's clearly supposed to take on the Raspberry Pi 4. Whether it'll have the same software ecosystem, I don't know. I mean, Raspbian is really mature at this point. Um, whether it's with a GUI or without, you know that Raspberry is going to be really good on a
3: Pi. It's interesting about the pricing because, as you say, the software ecosystem is going to be less mature than the Raspberry Pi, yet they're pitching it at exactly the same price as the Raspberry Pi. Um, I think if they want to pick up serious numbers, they should be pitching it cheaper than the Raspberry Pi. Um, but that said, I'm pretty sure that Ubuntu server is going to run on this thing just fine um, in 64-bit mode. Um, and then you've got access to the entire Ubuntu ecosystem. So it will be interesting to see how popular this becomes. But I suspect it will be a footnote in uh, Raspberry Pi's history.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think that Raspberry Pi Foundation needs to worry too much about these things. I think you need to know what you're getting into if you buy something like this. And then it probably scratches a specific kind of performance or implementation itch that you know the Raspberry Pi um, isn't isn't good enough for. Um, because you buy into the ecosystem, don't you? That's the great thing about the Raspberry Pi is you buy into the, the millions of people asking the same questions on the support, support forums and all the software and all the projects. But what
0: I do like about this is the honesty. Um, Pines say that you do need to have some sort of heatsink, and there are holes on the board specifically to mount that heatsink, and that they will be selling, I think, passive and active ones. Whereas the Pi Four, they sell that with no heatsink and no—you know—they don't even mention that you need one when you clearly do
2: need at least a passive one. I've been running mine with that one, and honestly, it's been fine. Yeah, me too. In a case as well, in a 3D printed case, it's it's the one I kind of built the little synth thing out
1: of. I love the smell of molten plastic in the morning.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that at least you're you're not getting the performance that you could be if you had um, at least a, a reasonable passive heatsink
2: on it. Yeah, and you're right, and it's not even, it doesn't need it, it doesn't. Barely pushed 10% of the CPU. <laughs> ah, well. Why aren't you just doing it on a 3 then? Or Yeah, just in, just in case. Just in case I need that extra synth sound or I need to run a web server on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, run some containers on it or something. All right,
0: so some bad news for Linux gamers. And that is that Rocket League is dropping support for Linux as well as Mac, but we don't care about that, in March. So you will be able to still play it uh, offline and single player but who does that
1: the whole point of it is that it's online multiplayer i take it that's some sort of space simulation game it's a football game
0: <laughs> yeah it's like you drive these cars around and have a giant football that you have to put into the other player's net
2: right it is it is actually a really good game it's very addictive and even though it sounds crazy it's a bit like um sensible soccer sounds crazy on paper but when you start to play it it's very difficult to put it down Sensible Soccer was
0: a classic. Is that still going these days?
2: It is in Graham's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a reboot of it, but I never played it.
0: All right. I used to play it on the Amiga. That's good fun. But the reason that they've given for not supporting it is that they want to upgrade to a newer version of DirectX, and they just can't justify porting the Linux version to newer technologies, because they um, only have 0.3% usage on Linux and Mac combined which really shows you how few Linux players there must be of this game. And Mac users, just to put that in there. Well, yeah, who buys a Mac to play games, honestly? Who buys a Mac? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) who who builds a Linux machine to play games, realistically? I know that it's like this whole thing, and, you know, Proton and everything, but if you're going to play games, just build a Windows machine.
1: Well, speaking of Proton, though, they, they did say that is probably the way to go. And the thing is, Proton works really well. I mean, I was playing GTA 5 on it before they broke the launcher, but that was that's unrelated to actually Proton. The game itself can work with a new launcher. I think you have to do some trickery. It's like swapping one application in and out. I don't know. I didn't bother. I wanted it to work proper, and um th- that ran blazingly fast. And if you look at that, that was like a really decent game, a large game. And I don't, you know, it, this could be the way it has to go. Like maybe Proton becomes like the way the scum VM thing used to come for um, the old uh, Choose Your Adventure games. What were they called? Oh, can't remember them. Police Squad and things like that. I thought you were going to say Leisure Suit Larry. Well, I think that actually might be one of them. It is, um, Yeah. Yeah. So right. yeah. So, like they used to write for a virtual machine to write the games. Like maybe a Proton version becomes the sort of de facto standard because if you could standardize to something, even if it is a Windows version, maybe it's not
3: actually a Windows Windows version. Maybe it's that environment. I don't know. We've seen someone, and I think it was Epic, banning people that they detected running games in Proton because their anti-cheat system wasn't working properly or something. So oh, lovely. I think I, I, I don't think it's just a case of um, being able to run the game. I think it's that they are actively hostile against anything that isn't Windows, presumably because they can't invest the, the money they need to to make sure that that platform is, is running in the right way. Um, and I can understand the business impact of it, but it uh, it's paints a, a, a bleak picture for Linux gaming. I did hear, though, that the latest version of Wine
1: might actually fix that. It's due to do the executable format or something.
0: Well, the good news is that if you've bought it and played it on Linux, you can get a refund. I think it's a bit of a ball egg to get your refund, but you can get one. So if you're outraged of the internet, then uh, you can get your refund. I think that really tells Surya how small the numbers are, that they no. don't mind giving money back. Yeah, exactly. So something you put in, Will, was a Pharonix article about an incredibly cheap
3: laptop. Yeah, and it wasn't the fact that Ubuntu performed better than Windows 10 in the various tests that really amazed me, it was the price of this thing. $200 gets you an AMD Ryzen laptop. Now, it's a a Ryzen 3 3200U, which is dual core, but has four threads. Uh, And it's got a Vega 3 GPU on board, which is roughly comparable to an Intel 620 uh, HD graphics card. So not going to set the world on fire, but reasonable enough. Um, I looked at a few stats and it will play some modern games at around 40 to 50 frames a second so not lightning but acceptable but $200 and you can upgrade the RAM and you can upgrade the hard disk in it It just seems remarkably cheap
0: but you do have to go into Walmart to buy it so you know swings and roundabouts although you can look at the cool guns they have there if you do.
3: The case it comes in looks pretty good. It looks okay. Uh, it's got a full HD 1080p screen on the thing. I don't know no idea what the keyboard's like um, but, or what the connectivity's like, but I think it's got USB 3, HDMI out, and I think it might even have USB-C on it as well. So, you know, a, a pretty nicely connected machine for a low, low price. So, yeah, if anyone in the US has got one of these, I would love to hear more about it. All right,
0: so Thunderbird is uh, moving to its own wholly owned subsidiary so it can start raising money that isn't a charitable donation and have some more autonomy. And the company is going to be called uh, MZLA Technologies Corporation, so Mozilla, much like Mozilla. I thought they just didn't give a shit about Thunderbird anymore, but maybe they do.
2: Yeah, and I'm, it may have been cynical, me, after the Mozilla news we've been talking about the last... Couple of times, is like, "Mm, is is this really to help Thunderbird, or is it, you know, is it does it make it easier to get rid of it or to not take ownership over the project fully?
0: Well, it's kind of like sink or swim, isn't it? It's like saying, "Here, have your own corporation, and you know, it's up to you now. We're not going to carry you anymore. But if if there's enough people interested in continuing to use it and contribute towards it, and maybe do some deals with companies who are going to bundle it or whatever, then it will live. And if not, well, it's not our problem.
2: Maybe, but I mean, to me, email is a legitimate part of what the Mozilla Foundation should be doing alongside the web. I, don't, I didn't think it was a, a, a bad direction for the foundation to, you know, to be the custodian of Thunderbird, um, especially with all the other things it's doing. I mean, you know, with Pocket, for example, you know, Thunderbird seems to be a legitimate use of its um, finances and its energy.
0: When are they going to fucking open source Pocket? That's what I want to know, mm. because they promised to do it. And the back end, as far as I know, is still not being open sourced. And that was years ago. And it's, it seems like a useful thing that I would like to self-host, but they still haven't done it. I mean, I know how difficult it can be to open source things, especially when it's really shonky code or whatever, but they did promise to do it, and I'm still disappointed. Every time anyone mentions Pocket, it triggers me and makes me think, yeah, when are they going to do
2: it, the bastards? Yeah, and I, I agree. And also, they make it a very prominent part of Firefox.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't really use it anymore. I used to use it heavily, but then I just sort of moved away from it as a workflow. But... Um, I, I could see myself using it if it was open source. And uh, and people will say, oh, well, there's this, that, and the other alternative to it. But the fact that it's just there pre-installed with Firefox means that I would probably be more likely to use it if I could then hook that up to my own back end or whatever. But um, unfortunately, I just use Google Docs like some sort of uh, freedom hater.
1: Get it out of here. <laughs>
0: Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to co/lnl and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all over the world with really fast networking and super fast SSDs. And they offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS and FreeBSD and some container distros. But if you don't want to use one of those, you can upload your own custom image. They have loads of one-click apps like Lamp and LEMP stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and it's really easy to set up. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they scale all the way up to multiple cores and huge amounts of RAM and disk space. And they also have CPU-optimized droplets if you want just raw power and memory-optimized droplets if you need more of that. They have really simple backups that have saved my bacon once or twice, and cloud firewalls that can stop network traffic before it even gets to your VM. It's really simple to add extra storage to your droplet, whether that is block storage or object storage, depending on your needs. So go to do.co slash lnl and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash lnl. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And if you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, if you pay $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And another quick mention for Fos talk Live, I said it at the beginning, but yeah, it's going to be on the 20th of June. And we might start a little bit earlier. So if you've got any ideas for talks or workshops or something that we can do in the tiny basement of a pub on a Saturday afternoon, then uh, do let us know. Uh, I will put together some sort of formal call for papers, I think, soon. I hear you've got uh, something in the works, Will. I've got two in the works. Show off. And I've got one I can do. So uh, maybe we'll just do it
1: an
2: all late-night Linux thing to start with. Yeah, and I'll do some live open source music if no one else fills in the spot.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Sounds to me like you guys have got it covered and I'll prop the bar up. Sorted. Somebody's got to be on Triangle. (laughs) (laughs) One of my (laughs) favourite (laughs) waveforms.
2: Oh dear.
0: So some good news then. Wirecard is in the Linux kernel, or it's going to be, because it's looking very much like it's going to be in the 5.6 kernel coming up fairly soon. This has been a long time coming.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about it before. Um, it's an awesome VPN that you know Linus praised for its um, simplicity of code, which is an important part of it. And, and you know we have talked a lot about it, but it is great as part of the kernel, and everyone will just be able to use it.
0: Yeah, because it's not like your standard VPN. Which has got like client and server. This is peer to peer. And so, like, both ends are almost equally um, well, it's like the same config almost. Both ends is my understanding of it.
1: Have you ever used this phoneme? No. Um, every time I have to use a VPN, it's usually to a client site. So it's going to be, you know, Sonic Walls or Cisco's or something like that. And back here, I just use SSH tunnels and uh, Foxy Proxy in Firefox. So I've got a like, a whole host of uh, SSH tunnels for various sites, and I just say, "Well, okay, if the IP address range is this, then use this tunnel." And it's remarkably easy to set up, and it's going to require an awful lot to get me out of using it. To be quite honest, so they have their uh, their challenge set. Yeah, I haven't
2: used it either, and I should. So maybe maybe for a future episode, I'll see if I can set it. I use OpenVPN here at home. Um, to be able to use on my phone when I'm out. Yeah, I know. And that was a nightmare. So I'm fully aware of what a nightmare that is. So I can compare it to uh, WireGuard. Well, yeah, IPsec as well. Jesus.
0: (laughs) Well, from the conversations I've had with people using it, it is infinitely easier to set up than OpenVPN. And so I'm tempted to give it a go. To be honest, if the filth ban had come in, then I would probably know a lot more about it
1: by now. <laughs> Why do you think you got it got accepted into the kernel so quick, just in case? But now the Tories are in with their massive majority,
0: they might well do this filth ban. And so I'll probably learn all about it, but we'll see. But it's good news anyway, that it's in the kernel. It means that we're going to potentially get some really easy ways to use it built into distros because obviously you can configure it all manually, but really it's kind of more of a lower level technology that you could then build on top of like really easy GUIs
2: or whatever. Yeah. And what's also really good is that, you know, having set up OpenVPN, I really don't have any confidence in my skills to have got it right. Mm, mm. Um, So anything that can simplify that and make it, you know, safeguard it against idiots like me is a good thing for everyone. So as we talked about last time, Windows 7
0: is not getting any more updates, although it did get one, which fixed, uh, quite frankly, a non-issue as far as I'm concerned. I think it was like if you... Resized. If you had a wallpaper set to stretch, then it would just give you a plain black wallpaper. So I consider that a feature rather than a bug. But anyway, <laughs> um, they, they did patch that in Windows 7, but otherwise it's dead. But the Free Software Foundation have got a petition, and that petition is for Microsoft to upcycle Windows 7 as free software.
3: Uh, yeah, good luck with that. I think this is such a terrible, terrible idea um, and not something the FSF should be going anywhere near. Let me ex- explain my reasonings for this. Imagine if Microsoft did say, okay, Windows 7 is now open source. There you go, FSF or you know whoever, uh, Apache Foundation. There's Windows. Go for it. Uh, and sooner or later, uh, a build would come out that allowed normal people to install Windows 7 onto their laptops. And Windows 7 would have this massive burst of new users. And Microsoft would give exactly no fucks about it at this point. Uh, all of the security issues that were discovered with it would still get funneled through Microsoft and put in the bin. Uh, all of these new users would be working under uh, the the assumption that they're getting some kind of updates because it's now it's an open source project and loads of people care. No one will care. It will be bug ridden around forever and... Nobody will actually be maintaining it. I think the right thing to do is take it around the back of the shed and shoot it in the head. (laughs) (laughs) I think they were trolling, and I
1: think they damn well knew that they wouldn't ever get it, and I think they were trolling just to uh, highlight the fact that Microsoft is not hurting Linux quite as much as it likes to claim it is, and it was
3: just a nice way to get the old boot in. Yet there's a quote here from the article saying, unfortunately, the FSF couldn't resist a final dig saying the killing of the OS had brought an end to its updates as well as 10 years of poisoning education, invading privacy and threatening user security. May or may not have a point there, but that is not the way to win friends and influence people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they've actually removed that from the petition now, the FSF. Have they? They edited it and tidied it up a bit. Yeah, yeah, that was in the original text, but looking at it now, it's not there Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I also don't like the term upcycle because it just makes me think of an old sofa with something thrown over the top of it.
0: (laughs) Well, I actually upcycled an old wine box once. I cut it in half and made two small boxes that we keep uh, medicine and stuff in. Wow. And it's uh, shabby chic as fuck. And uh, I'm really proud of it. Did you also sponge pattern paint it while you are at it? (laughs) I should take a photo of them, but then you'd see all the uh, creams and lotions and potions that are in there. So I'll have to blur that out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops, from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop-class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have, and if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form-factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop-down at checkout. You can select Late Night Linux, and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So, Will, just before we started recording, you dropped a bombshell on us, and you said you've had enough of macOS. You're going to try and install Ubuntu on your Mac.
3: Yeah, I just can't stand it anymore. I've tried. Honestly, I've tried to like it, and I just... Don't. And um, I was away at a company, All Hands, last week, chatting to a few other people, um, and they said basically they had the same feelings that I did, that this was impossible to use. And why Why would anybody in their right mind want to stick with this when they could be running KDE or Gnome or whatever they want? Um, So, yeah, I thought, well, fuck it. I'm going to try and install uh, Ubuntu on this this laptop. I think it's okay. I spoke to a few people um, at work, and they probably shouldn't be saying this publicly, but they said, yeah, just reinstall it. It's fine. Nobody will care. So that's... that's my approach here (laughs) maybe
1: they don't like you and they're trying to get rid
3: of you (laughs) yeah we don't like that new bloke who let the Ubuntu guy
1: in (laughs) do they also ask you to get a bucket of steam from the fucking building site I've got so many
3: long waits now you wouldn't believe it yeah, so I'm going to try and install Ubuntu on this thing, but I have absolutely no idea how to do it at the moment, um, and I'm a little bit worried about just breaking it, and then I really will be in trouble. So, yeah, any ideas? I don't even know if you can break it, this being a Mac. I think you can even install
2: macOS from the EFI bootloader through Wi-Fi. <laughs>
0: hey, Yeah, my first thought would be, um, if the SSD and it's not too big, and if you've got an old uh, spinning rust drive that's bigger, maybe just DD the the whole disk somewhere safe. So if it all goes wrong, you can always try doing that. But my experience, granted with a very old Mac, is that you just hold down the Alt key, which they call Option for some strange reason. Um, So yeah, turn it off, plug in a USB disk, turn it on, wait for the bong, then hold down Alt and don't tap it like with uh, a PC. You have to hold it down, and then you just get a boot menu, which gives you the the macOS disk, and then it should be the USB disk, and then boot from that. And then really should be good. I don't know about resizing the existing partition though. I think you can delete it easily with GParted or whatever. But it's a some funky file system these days, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I've done this on because I dual boot on my Mac. Um and it's Apple replaced HFS Plus with a PFS, which is a weird container part of part file system that contains lit an encrypted partitions, but you have you can't access those partitions, so you basically need to use disk util on the Mac to resize those partitions. Can you do that live though? You have to go into rescue mode, uh and rescue mode. Um, if it doesn't have rescue mode in the OS installed, it'll actually download like a live version of macOS, and you can boot into that. Right, okay. And you can also do it from a macOS installer because you can get to the disk tool from there.
3: What's the current state of drivers for these things? Because I've got a, um, a Thunderbolt dock, which I need for Ethernet access uh, SD cards, dual monitors, sound, basically everything, because the Mac hasn't got any sort of onboard ports whatsoever. Are, th- are those things likely to work? I've never tried, because with my ThinkPad, I had a proper clunky dock, and that worked perfectly. There's only one way to find out. I've never tried to do complicated stuff like that. I think um, that, that's
0: the beauty of Linux, though. You can boot it up live, can't you, and not even touch the SSD mm. and see if that sort of thing is going to work before, you know, try before you buy.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly the the right thing to do. I think my first step will be to try and boot off of a live USB stick and just see what happens. What do you actually use on it? Do you just use a browser and a terminal and that's it? Browser, terminal, code editor, a few uh, applications here and there. Um, But yeah, you know, the the usual stuff, exactly the same stuff as I was using on my Ubuntu laptop.
0: And what is it that's driven you up the wall to the point where you're going
3: to do this? It's it's the shell. It's the desktop shell. It's window management. It's hotkeys. It's um, moving between applications. Yeah, all of the usual stuff that GNOME was doing for me um, is just broken, uh, and I can't stand it. And I I tried to learn it, but what I ended up doing, as I've been talked about before, was downloading applications to make macOS work in the same way as GNOME, and it just seems silly. So. Forget that, I'm going to install GNOME. It warms my heart to hear this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I bet it does. The the one thing is, though, that when I've set up a dual boot, and I've I've got a dual boot on my really old MacBook Pro, is that it will just by default boot into macOS, and I have to hold down Alt every time I boot it and get that menu, and then it says that w- it's Windows for some reason, and then you click on that, and then it goes into Linux. But it takes, pff, I don't know, three or four minutes to boot, maybe
2: yeah and I've, I've done it both ways when i initially installed mac, um linux alongside mac os you have to go through the whole kind of partition blessing and i didn't even use grub so i kind of had it natively booting from the mac's bootloader and in that case you can choose linux from that same option screen that you get when you hold down the the alt key or whatever it is um and mac os or whatever the equivalent of the BIOS is, will now remember which one you booted off last. Um, But I now use Refind on that same Mac, which kind of handles all that for you, and it'll boot automatically to Refind if you set it up to from macOS. And there's Chameleon as well, which is another interesting bootloader for macOS and Hackintoshes that all work well.
0: Yeah, I've heard of that from Hackintoshes, but... um... My experience of Macintosh has just been pretty negative. Like you try and update something and it just breaks. And that, that's why I would just never bother. Um, I'd just shout out the seven grand or whatever it is for a proper Mac. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, i I mean, I've, I've run one for audio f- for a long time as well. And it, it is a real pain getting it set up, but at, at least you Apple at least until recently used off-the-shelf hardware, I mean, for things like Thunderbolt. And in fact, I've got a Lightning connector to an audio interface here that works on Linux and it also works on macOS because it's exactly the same chipset that that Apple uses on the motherboard and you can get the same motherboards with the same spec. So as long as you kind of stick as close as you can to the native Mac hardware, if this is something you want to do, it does work well.
0: Well, you'll have to report back on how you get on, Will. Um, I I don't know how I fancy your chances really because <laughs> on my old one it works perfectly well as long as you're willing to put up with that long boot time but I presume that you just sleep yours most of the time anyway so
3: I don't even do that I just leave it switched on yeah leave it burning away fuck the environment <laughs> <laughs> well my my Mac's a 2015 Mac
2: MacBook Pro and initially Things didn't work. The Wi-Fi didn't work. The webcam didn't work. But I'm um, that's why I'm a bit worried because um your Mac's much more recent, Will, and it could be that the, the drivers haven't been developed yet. But over time, everything has become compatible. So it may even take just another 12 months or something.
3: Yeah, and I've got a few... Hopes there, because I'm using an external webcam that worked perfectly on Ubuntu before. I'm using my oh, the microphone and headset, which is connected via Bluetooth. I've got my um, proper podcast mic, which is over USB. Um, and then it's the screens. So as long as the screens work and the network connection works, everything else I know works. So we will see. It's just dawned on me that you're going to try and record the show on it. So you're not allowed. You've
0: got to stay on macOS, I'm afraid. <laughs> Right, KDE Corner then. Uh,
1: Cute news, which is uh, hmm, not great. Yeah, a bit of an interesting one this. Uh, So, cute, QT. It's QT, I think. But anyway, it's cute. It's not. Uh, (laughs) They have decided in their wisdom that you will no longer get a QT binary of the uh, libraries and you will require uh, a QT account to do that. And it looks like that will have to be a paid-for account, um, which, from what I read from people, it's quite expensive to get. And there will be no more uh, long-term support releases for that. So it looks like it's going to be pretty awkward initially to get going for um a lot of projects, especially ones that use the LTS version of Qt to make money. Um, the likes of Krita, for instance, which is selling it on the Windows Store would technically breach that, for instance. Um, and that kind of makes life difficult for them. So I, I don't know if the sky's falling in. I mean, there is a license for Qt, which they have an agreement that if Qt doesn't release any updates to Qt in the space of a year, then. It all becomes BSD licensed, which is quite amazing. Um, and t- the code itself is L, GPL, and GPL already anyway. So, you know, they can't really lock it up as such. They're just making it slightly difficult for people to get hold of it.
2: Do you think this will lead to, you know, kind of a CentOS build like of Qt? Um, somebody trying to make a reproducible build of whatever they deem
1: LTS? Yeah, I think so. And I don't know if... QT will survive that because from what people are saying is if everybody takes a copy and then that copy becomes the de facto LTS then people are going to end up moving to that and then they've kind of done themselves out of a a license stream so I I don't know what do you think
0: my understanding of this is that uh, they are only going to charge for the LTS version and uh, just with a free account you can still get the binaries of the interim releases but they're just trying to put up barriers and make it harder for developers to freeload, essentially. Um, but it will be possible, but it's just a case of jumping through hoops. And I think that you're right, that a fork will appear. I think there might already be one in the works, I'm not sure. But that will basically mean that anyone who's serious about the open source side of things will just be using that and you will get this splintering. I think it's more likely that uh, the Cute company will backtrack on this and because they they've tried shit like this before and backtracked so i, I think
2: that it's not going to be as big of a problem as people are making it out i think they've got a long history of it's it's depressing really because it's it's almost like a distrustful relationship with um, the open source free software communities. I mean, we all know, you know, why, um, GNOME started out in the first place and the troubles they had with licensing. And as you said, they had, I think it was like 2016, they had a load of proprietary modules, you know, the charts and profilers and data visualization. And I think anything other than the open GL QT quick renderer were proprietary that you had to pay for. And it's also really expensive. Um, and so they've never seemed to feel comfortable or somebody behind the scenes is never comfortable with the idea that all of this is just being given away for free in the way that we always argue against when it comes down to open source. And this just seems to be yet another regression in their kind of in the in the backroom meeting rooms of power at um, the QT company, which hopefully,
1: you know, because it already is free software, time will just tell. Yeah, I don't think it's going to impact distros because distros rarely use that LTS version in Qt. They always get the latest or several stages back latest and build the late, uh, whatever happens to be the version of KDE that they're working on. Um, and if you're using something like Neon or Arch, you're going to be well ahead of that point anyway. But I think it's, I think it's the applications that all of a sudden, due to the, the various app stores that have kicked up, they're actually going to be the ones that suffer a bit. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think, yeah, maybe hopefully the backtrack happens or maybe they're just trying to get
3: bought. Yeah, it seems like this is a reasonable attempt at a way to monetize people, commercial uh, developers who are using the LTS version and allowing the, the open source people, the free software people to continue to use the leading edge for nothing. It seems like a reasonable attempt at finding that balance between how do we monetize the people who are ripping us off here, or not that they'd use that word, uh, and allow all of the, the community to continue to use it. Um, but yeah, it's it's not perfect, but I don't know what more they could have done. The thing is that we think of Qt as uh,
0: Plasma desktop and KDE applications, but really where it's used most is on stuff like Windows with Krita and whatnot, because the number of Krita users on Windows probably dwarfs the number of KDE Plasma users.
1: Do you have
3: stats for this? This is an outrageous accusation. <laughs> I would go further than that and say that the number of, let's say, automotive users, where Cute Q- is the toolkit in your head unit in your car, probably dwarfs the number of Krita users and uh, free software users altogether. So it, it really feels like those are the people that they're going after. Yeah, and the
0: likes of the Plasma desktop and KDE applications might suffer as a result of it. But I'm sure that they'll find a way around with forks and stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that I think they'll manage. I, I really can't see that being a problem. There's a lot of smart people there, so might be a bit might delay the move to QT6, but you know, hopefully, not in the long run.
0: But there's some good news for KDA as well. They've received a donation, a generous handshake,
1: in fact, <laughs> <laughs> from the Handshake Foundation. Yeah, uh, 79,000 euros, which isn't too bad. Yet I would like to add less than what GNOME has gotten up to date, fractionally. So just just putting that out there.
0: Yeah, so this Handshake Foundation uh, make a habit of this. Um, it's not cash, though, that they donate. It's, um, it's not Bitcoin. It's, like it's some other cryptocurrency, though
3: magic beans. <laughs> yeah, ma- magic
0: beans, which you can sell, to be fair. I think that's what the FSF did. Um, from speaking to someone uh, at Linux Fest Northwest last year, they got uh, I think it was a million dollars, and they just sold it as soon as they could and turned it into cash. So that would be my advice to KDE, but <laughs> it's obviously up to them. But thats it's a fair donation I suppose. It's uh, certainly not to be sniffed at, 79 grand. Absolutely not, and that'll help people get to to various conferences and stuff so that's good I think it'll buy them what, one cute license as well
1: <laughs> very good <laughs> share that amongst yourselves lads
0: <laughs> well we'd better get out of here then we'll be back in a couple of weeks and who knows what we'll be talking about then but until then I've been John I've been Phelan
2: I've been Graham, and I've been Will see you later